this is Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of Dogcast Radio, which is an in-depth look at garland therapy. To find out more about the treatment, I'm going to talk to Julia Robertson, who founded the therapy in 2002 and to whom I was introduced by Hannah Capon, who you can hear in episode 182 of Dogcast Radio, talking about canine arthritis management. You can find that episode, along with all our others, at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. Later in today's episode, we'll be sitting in on a treatment session with Julia, but first, I had a question for her. Just what is Garland? Garland, or Garland therapy... Garland, the name was taken from a pretty cool sort of Greek guy from about 2,000 years ago who made huge discoveries um, on humans uh, about circulation and repair and that sort of aspect of health. I think he worked not with Hippocrates. He was later than Hippocrates, but it was under that school. And he just made some incredible discoveries. And he was one of the first that actually did any sort of sport therapy. And he was working with the gladiators, so it was quite extreme stuff. Oh, wow. Now, I know that he's got nothing to do with animals, but his discoveries are the essence of basically what we are doing as therapists and garland therapists, which is influencing the, our various bodily systems, our muscular system primarily, and also circulatory system, to aid the body's repair. And that was something that he discovered. So that is sort of what we do within the canine version um but i i took his name because um he to me was pretty heroic really yes yeah and i mean that's that sounds marvelous because if we can get the body to work as well as it possibly can it is an amazing mechanism isn't it so if we can encourage it to work properly incredible restorative um, parts to it, and um, and we need to we need to encourage that. And and sometimes these things can be um, overshadowed um, by maybe maybe. I mean, I'm not an anti-drugs person at all, um, but sometimes they can be overshadowed by drugs. And actually, our bodies, if it's given a good environment and um, an environment in which it can restore and repair it will give it a really good go. And that is not age dependent. I have seen people and dogs that are quite elderly and they still repair. Their body, bodies are amazing. Yes. So it is most certainly not age dependent as well. Yeah. Either, I yeah. should say, not as well. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're saying there. And, and also sometimes it's not even just the, you know, the, the, the drugs sort of will work or won't work or whatever. But I mean, somebody close to me had quite a serious injury for most of last year. And it wasn't until a, uh, a neurological um, physiotherapist got to work with them. Mm. and sort of did the right therapies with their body. And it wasn't a case of do this exercise 10 times or anything like that. It was giving information to the central nervous system in a way. And yeah. and that was like a, a magic wand. So if you exactly. can get the right approach, it does. It really pays dividends. And it's it's amazing how the body can go right and how it can go wrong and how we can get it back on course. So Exactly, know, exactly. Yeah. And of course, if um, in, in my opinion, if things are kept sort of, to how the body need, uh, does work naturally, it can use them that much easier. And yeah. that's why the, the therapy we use, the, the Garland Meyer therapy, um, 
I feel works really well, but also our exercises we use are also incredibly natural type of movement patterns, which are repeated in a way that helps that restorative body start to work properly again. And, um, and they work from the same sort of premise, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, in, in practical terms then, when, you, when a dog comes to you, yep. what are you looking at? And what's then springing to mind about sort of how you might treat him? In, in practical terms, what is Garland? I mean, that's, um, that's an excellent question because <laughs> the moment the dog... I mean, first of all, before we actually see a dog, we have a series of questions that we like to ask them. And sometimes people think these questions are a little bizarre. Um, for example, we ask the question, how does your dog have a dump, for instance? Yeah. And which side do they lie on? And do they lick their feet or do they chew their feet or do they chew or lick parts of their body? So some of these questions might seem completely unrelated to why they're coming to see one of us. This is all therapists work in the same way, all Gala Maya therapists work in the same way. Might seem completely unrelated to the condition, Um, but it is all relevant because all these behavioral actions and behaviors are or can be really relevant we just build a puzzle so we have that initially and then the minute they arrive we look at how they interact how they walk how they move how they move their legs in relation to each other what their coat looks like how they move their neck how they move their legs if they go around a corner and this is just in the treatment room this isn't doing a formal gait assessment as such i like to see how they move in a natural way. So how they turn a circle, how they may just step up onto our very low futon where I treat. That sort of thing, you can see so much from that. So you can see the shape of the dog, whether it's symmetrical, whether it's asymmetrical, whether the front end, when I'm talking about symmetry, I'm not just talking left and right, I'm talking whether the the front end is larger than the back end. In other words, they should match whether the placement of the legs back and front correspond or whether they're a bit close in front or close behind or whatever, whether they're planting their whole foot or not. It's it's looking at so many things. And then when you begin the treatment, if you want me to leap forward on to begin the treatment, it's incredibly important that we show some form of intention because it's a bit like someone arriving and for a treatment and that person that's going to give you the treatment doesn't say a word and just suddenly then starts the treatment. So we have to show some intention, which is either verbal or sort of nonverbal. And normally the nonverbal is you sit next to them and, and just think, right, I'm going to have a look. And it's amazing before you put your hands on, you may have gone from a dog that you're stroking quite happily as a, you know, a sort of person to dog thing. But the moment the therapist kicks in, that whole relationship can change. So then the moment you put your hands on, then you can feel differences. And that's a whole different set of assessments. Do you know, that's that's really interesting because, I mean, on, on a, a different plane from what you do, but, for example, with Buddy, you know, he will sit and be fussed and, and my, my Labrador Buddy will sit and be mm. fussed and, and sort of, you know, he, he loves that. But as soon as you think, oh, I, did I just feel 
you know, a, a little sore patch here or, you know, yep. and you start to look with a different intent and he'll exactly. be a bit like, get off, what are you doing Exactly. Yes, yeah. Exactly. And we have to be, and that's one of the ways where we work, which are, I believe, very different from a lot of other therapists. We're very honest with our approach. And I'm not saying that others aren't. That sounded awful. But what I'm saying is that we, from the onset, we give the dog choice because it's their pain, their body. And so if they then are not happy, they are more than welcome to go and move away from where I'm sitting or where the therapist is sitting until they've got a chance to think about it and process it and then decide to come back, which invariably they do. I would, I would put as high a figure on as 95% do. I mean, that, that is lovely because, by coincidence, I've interviewed quite a few people, trainers and behaviourists um, recently, who have talked about giving the dog choice. Now, at yeah. one point, that would have been, don't show a sign of weakness. You tell the dog what to do. It must do what exactly. you do. Exactly. We now, are the master and commanders yes, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. But now, to, to hear them yeah. empowered and take because to be fair, you know, it's something that I did without thinking. I would have... I I was very lucky and our dogs have been quite polite and well behaved but I would sort of open the door and instead of sort of going right you have to go out to the toilet I would go mm. do you want to go to the toilet and with body language I'd be trying to say well I've got the door open for yeah. you can yeah. and if they looked at me and, and tried to tell me I thought no then I would just yeah. close the door and leave it and I exactly. felt a bit silly about it and I would never have told <laughs> you're them ahead that. of your time you're <laughs> well, ahead of your time <laughs> yeah but it wasn't until a trainer, or, or well, tra- a tra- a trainer and behaviourist said to me about giving dogs choice that yeah. I felt enabled to admit that and go, well, I have been doing that because I felt yeah. a bit weak. So it yes. is something we need to get out of people. Absolutely. Well, I must admit, it's something that we've always done and I knew nothing about it, this giving choice oh. and the, the commonality between what we do and trainers. I knew nothing about this until... I met Turid Rugas from Norway, yeah. and she was in, or is an amazingly inspirational woman and a fantastic trainer. And I would say she was definitely one of the first people that ever introduced that concept to people. And it wasn't until she asked me to come and um, talk at one of her symposi- symposiums that we realized that we had so much commonality, me from the therapy side of it and her from the training, which, of course, you know, when you're looking at a whole dog's welfare, it's it's not just one aspect, it's the whole thing. Yeah. And um, we've worked together ever since, and she is a joy to work with. And so, yes, absolutely, the, the this big, important word choice is just, it's absolutely critical. It's really empowering, really, yes. for um, the dogs to, to have this choice. And then they they know their bodies. And when, like we are working on you know with dogs that are in pain it is their pain it's not ours i mean we think we have the skills to be able to help them but i still very firmly believe that they they have the right to choose whether they take it or not because i've just seen time and time and time i mean i've treated over 8000 dogs and i've seen it time and time and time again so this isn't just one or two isolated cases this is a many years and many many dogs um, you give them the choice and they will choose to have the treatment even though it is incredibly painful. If anyone's had a sports massage, they will know how painful it can be. Yeah. But appropriately so. It's not, you know, it's not, um, not gratuitous. Yes. It yeah. is 
with good intentions. Yeah. And they get that, absolutely. Yeah. And likewise, there's no placebo. So it can't be, well, yes, I think they're better. They, they demonstrate it, and that's that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it sounds fascinating. It sounds lovely. So assuming that the dog is, is sort of receptive to mm. some treatment, how, how might you start? Okay, well, the, the first thing is I would have immediately made an assessment from actually um, doing all those initial, uh, initial verbal consultation plus also the initial visual from the dog when they actually arrive. And then it comes down to the, the, the hands and the palpation because it is a purely hands-on treatment. So then it comes down to, okay, where am I going to start? So by then I would have had a really good idea of perhaps where this condition could be originating because we, see, we don't see dogs in an acute state very often at all because that's not what we do. We treat much more with the chronic pain. If you've got a dog in acute state, in other words, um, post-operative or something like that, that's much more physio. We do the chronic pain, so the ongoing, where is this coming from? Why have they suddenly gone lame from nothing type of pain? Mm. Um, so it's, it's all a matter of really starting to try and unwind it. And, you know, there is something called pain wind-up, uh, and that's a neurological term, but winding up what what a body does is actually become shorter and shorter to try and redistribute its body away from the place of pain to adapt their posture or compensate through their posture for the pain so it's looking at what's happened in that dog's body to actually change its shape and where do i start to actually unwind it so if you immediately go to the place where the dog is most painful you're not going to get, and quite rightly so, a good response. You've got to look at where it's ended up and then start at that point and start to unwind from that point. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense when you put it like that. So yeah. it's, it's quite sort of forensic, really. Mm. Um, and, and this is why when people say, well, if you had a dog with this condition, what would you do? Well, it's an impossible question to yeah. answer because yeah. every dog will have adapted differently and so I, I also hear a lot oh well yes they compensate don't they well that throw away line of oh well they compensate don't they basically what's being said at that point is that the body is then overloading in a different area that will lead to a lameness or another pathology mm. which could be something like an, like an arthritic change yeah and as you say, we, we say, oh, you know, they compensate, they get around. And they, they do, you know. Sadly, um, they do really yes. well, but they do then crash and burn. Yeah. And the trouble is that then people go, why, why have they suddenly gone lame? Nothing's happened. But if you track it back um, to a repetitive strain or a, um, another condition, or more often than not, um, an accident, an old accident that was looked at from a skeletal and every other perspective, but perhaps not looked at from how the muscles were damaged because every injury, every trauma will have a muscular issue attached to it. And then if, if you don't treat the muscle, it's a bit like, it's different. And some of these sort of throwaway statements I'm giving, I don't mean to be as throwaway as they may sound, but it's just trying to, 
demonstrate mm. what we're saying. But if, um, if, for instance, you or one didn't repair a broken leg, the bone would, if it was sort of touching, would sort of join up, but it wouldn't join up well at all. Mm. And it's sort of the same with muscle. We're, we leave it, we rest it a bit, but actually it needs treatment to help realign and reposition itself how it was. It'll never be the same again, but at least to help it repair properly rather than um, keep re-injuring because it's not being looked after appropriately. Yeah, yeah. And do you, do you tend to see dogs sort of repeatedly or is one or two sessions enough or how does, it, how does that work? Um, for a, perhaps a, um, um, a compensatory issue where a dog has become just quietly stiffer and, and then eventually become lame, more often than, again, it does depend on the condition, but what we do is we have an initial three treatments. So we see dogs for three, maybe four treatments, because quite frankly, if they don't show a good amount of improvement by then, then the, the treatment's not right for the condition. And so we refer them straight back to the vet because um, we do not keep on going um, and hoping that eventually it's going to work because free treatments is a good amount of time to see some really good measurable changes. And then after that, again, depending on the condition, but quite often these are with things that you were mentioning, the, the um, osteoarthritis, that mm. sort of thing. Three treatments can really help a dog enormously rebalance slightly so they're not overloading, therefore getting a lameness from an overload situation. Then what we do, we set up generally a management program. So we might then see the dog in six weeks and then another eight weeks, and then it might come down to something like three monthly or four monthly just to keep them ticking over and keeping well. But the most important thing, I think, or one of the most important things I think we do is we give some skills to the owners so they can help maintain their dog's well-being at home. And I think that's one of the most important things because we all want to feel like we can, we can do something yes. and we're not, yeah. we're not always looking for someone else to help our own dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from personal experience, when, when coming home from the vet, the vet having had this diagnosis of arthritis mm. and with Buddy in such a state and so miserable, it wasn't just the physical effects. It was, he was so miserable with it. And, yeah. and if you, you do think, what can I do? Because yes, I can yeah. give him the tablets, but I want to do something. You, you, it would have relieved me immensely, you know, if I could have thought, right, there's something I can, I can do now. I can help him with this. So it must be an awful big help to, to owners. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, many, most absolutely love doing it. Others feel that they can't cope with it because it's too much of a responsibility almost. And I get that too. Um, so it's a personal choice. Absolutely. But I love the idea of, um, I hate the word sort of empowering, yeah. but um, it is quite empowering. That, yes. um, yeah. and, but not only that, they then become it sort of has this wonderful sort of synergistic effect in a way because then they start to get to know how their dog feels, as in physically feels, what mm. their muscle tone feels like and, and areas that are not comfortable, how they feel. And they then, in turn, become even more in touch with their dog. Then they take those skills on to other dogs, or not other dogs, but their other dogs. Yes, yeah. And so it becomes... Um, 
a situation where they're not just helping their dog, but they're learning more about how dogs work, you know, what what feels good, what doesn't feel great, which is a really, really um, helpful thing for people. Then they get much more into the preventative rather than just into the curative side of things. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, the the more into you know the, the, the more the dog teaches you, if you like, and the more you learn, yeah. you know, from people like you through your dog's journey. Yes, you take that on to the next dog and you Absolutely. help that dog. Yep, definitely. Absolutely. And that is so important. And that's just, I think that's sort of one of the most powerful things is when I have clients that perhaps their older dog has now died and maybe I've treated them for years. They have another dog and they come in much, much sooner in the yeah. event of things. So it does become much more um, preventative and so, therefore, it's helping perhaps things going critical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, because I have to say with, with Buddy again, to me, this, the, the arthritis diagnosis sort of was, was a huge shock. And it was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And yet, had I been more aware, and I don't, you know, I don't consider myself an uninformed dog owner. I've reported something sort of for over 10 years. And I, you know, amassed exactly. quite a lot of knowledge. But I still didn't know that... There was so much that we could do, for, you know, for the condition, a condition like arthritis. And I didn't know that I should have been aware of those very slight changes that I just took for granted. And maybe I should have gone to the vet and said, well, hang on, look at him. What do you think it is? What can, you know, what, where can mm. you refer him? How can I help him? With another dog, yes, I wouldn't have that. I would have that knowledge and I'd be able to help him or her much sooner. So, yes, this is why I want to talk to you and sort of put this information out there so that people can help themselves, help the dog, and everything can just be happier. Absolutely. And the thing is, you shouldn't reproach yourself because you're doing this now. And um, I feel that all of our sort of, it sounds a little corny, but all of our journeys start with a dog. Yes. And they all do. And yours has started with Buddy on this particular subject. And as you say, you've reported on so many subjects for so long. But sometimes it's, it's, it's actually, it's not knowing the question to ask, which is yes. what you're... And so yeah. to just have that small amount of informational knowledge can be incredibly beneficial. They, yeah. Then you can ask that initial question. Yeah, definitely. So what kinds of conditions are dogs referred to you with? And it, and it is always through um, veterinary referral, is it? Well, it's veterinary referral or veterinary consent. Um, yes, often yeah. um, people approach us as individuals, but obviously, as you quite rightly say, we cannot see a dog and refuse to see a dog unless we have written consent from their acting veterinary surgeon, which yeah, is, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the law, but it also it's incredibly important anyway. Um, the type of conditions are quite varied. I suppose we go from both ends of the scale. Um, we, we see a lot of arthritic dogs, as we've already spoken about. I see a lot of super fit dogs too, a lot of um, athletes that are uh, competition dogs. And that can be for um, maintaining their health. So it's looking at, um, because we've got very, very good palpation skills, we can identify very small areas of unbalance or, or imbalance in a dog and when you're looking at a dog that's at the top of their game and competing at the top of their game something like that can make a huge difference yeah. to how they compete but also even more important than that the more balanced they are the less likely they are to injure themselves yeah. because some of these obstacles some of the dogs have to go over or 
um, the positions they have to hold or whatever it might be, the more balanced they are, the better they are off, um, as I said, for prevention of injury. And that is so important. Yeah. So we go from that extreme. So we see sometimes older dogs. We also see a lot of dogs in their midlife, um, about six, seven, eight, which is not old. I'm going to repeat that again. Not old. People yes. think six, seven, eight. Oh, they're getting older. No, they're not. No. I've got the, um, I think, the top trumps in um, old dogs. I had a 15-year-old Newfoundland, so I will not accept oh, that wow. a six- or seven-year-old dog is old. Yeah. Um, so sort of midlife. But that's a time of life where, as I sort of like to call it, they've perhaps had a lot of healthy injuries. In other words, they've had a, having a wonderful life. But like us, they sort of accumulate a few issues but then it can suddenly go critical to a lameness and it becomes really difficult to work out where it's coming from because it is an adaptive change type lameness so they're very very common and that can be from again another condition it could be from an old injury it could be from a repetitive strain um, so those are the three main areas we also see puppies not that often, perhaps not as often as maybe we would like. Well, we don't want to see them. Yeah. I think you understand that. Yes, um, yeah. But we've, uh, we see some puppies that are perhaps not quite developing in the way that they should. And it's incredible how many muscular problems there can be in a very, very young puppy. Mm. So please don't discount just because... Um, an animal's terribly young, but, oh, no, it can't possibly be a muscular problem. It really can. And one dog in particular that um, uh, featured quite a bit on our site and at Crufts is our Leon Berger called Fergus, who was 20 weeks old when he came to me because he just wasn't developing well and couldn't walk well or couldn't walk mm-hmm. and couldn't stand from a sit. Um, and he, he just he shuffled on his bottom. And he had quite a bad back problem. We don't know why. Um, but he got better incredibly quickly. And if you think about how quickly that dog was growing, the the loading that was going to be on those developing elbows, for instance, could have been quite catastrophic, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, because they're, they're something, they're tiny, they're something like just a pound, aren't they, when they're born, Leo's? And, and... Yeah, very, very quickly. They're huge dogs. So the body's gone exactly. through, yeah, massive change. Massive, co- yeah. massive. Yeah. And if you think he had a lower back problem, then he would have been really loading on his front to stand up. And one of the vulnerable areas in a growing, in a growing pup of any age um, are, are their elbows. Mm. So he would have been asserting through all these soft joints and soft end of bones um, some incredible loadings which the body just would not have liked. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pure engineering. We only look at it as engineering. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? It, it, I've one thing I have learned from having from having Buddy with with his issues now is he we we got a, a ramp and he really doesn't like it. And from now on, any dog I have that is too big for me to pick up comfortably. Yep. I will have a ramp and they will be used to have a, used to using the ramp from exactly. the word go. You know, Absolutely. I knew I knew early on that I, he shouldn't stress his bones and we, we lifted him. Mm. But, you know, they get too big to lift and, and he, he, he's not comfortable with it. Um, yep. And it's, it's just what you said about so they, they will endure things. They will put up with it. They understand you're yep. trying to help them. And they're like, yep. no, I'm really not 
liking this, but I'll let you do it because I know, yeah. you know. Um, but he doesn't like it. So we've got the ramp and he doesn't like that because it's a bit of a shake. Um, so I will get him used to that um, to avoid that is, yeah. repetitive. And the thing is, they're not going to like anything like that when they're feeling vulnerable. Yes. And he's feeling vulnerable. And absolutely, you're absolutely correct that really we should get our dogs used to these things um, before they need them yes. because then they learn to trust them rather than being in a very un- vulnerable, untrusting position of their own bodies. Yeah, yeah. Then we're asking them to walk a plank, yes. which is, you know, it, it's wonderful for them um, physically, but of course they find it really, really a struggle to, to cope with that once they're in that vulnerable position. Yeah, yeah. No. Now, and you've said that Garland um, includes the hands-on um, yes. therapy. Did you say it sort of um, you get them to do, you know, sort of stepping and that kind of exercise? We we also um, some of us in, incorporate exercises too, oh. and they are based purely on their own natural movement. So we don't use any kit as such. Yeah. Maybe a few poles here and there that would replicate uh, branches on the ground or something, which is what we prefer actually, incorporating this into a live or real situation because dogs enjoy it more anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we do We do quite a bit of exercise physiology. But as I said, it's very much on the natural movement. It's trying to get the body to use itself properly again. Um, and and that, that together with the, the uh, owner taking that home and doing that with the treatment can work incredibly well. Yeah. But again, we don't want to set people up to fail by giving them so much work to do on their dogs that it just, oh, we can't cope with it all. Yes. So yeah. we have to be terribly careful how much we give because people really want to do everything and I don't want people to feel that they're, they're not getting it right. Yes, yeah. That's a lovely approach. I really like that. And what sort of results do you see? So, you know, you, you, the, the dog will come in and may not be walking very well or, mm. you know, having these issues and you can see that he's expressing pain. What kind of results are you seeing? How, how much is their life improved, you know? Well, I think someone um, coined a wonderful phrase. I think Christina Zink uses the word health span rather than lifespan. And isn't that, it's really nice that, yes, um, yeah. and uh, I'd love to apportion it to me, but I didn't think of it. <laughs> um, no, I heard her say, oh, that, that's nice. That yes. is nice. And that's what we can see. Now we, we, the results we have actually do go from the completely miraculous to the, wow, that's incredible to the, that's really nice. That's, yes. that's yeah. just, that's a few increments of change, which have actually really really change their whole perception of life because for anyone that's been in chronic pain they would know they they probably wouldn't realize it but if it's if it's spoken to them they would probably know that their whole life then becomes that pain in other words you consider everything you do based on your body's reaction to that pain mm. even from getting up and walking across a room you know if if you're not in any pain you just do it completely without thinking if you're in pain you go right i've got to get up from a sit i've got to walk across the room i hope no one's going to run and crash into me i hope yeah. i'm not going to trip your your life becomes defined by that pain mm. 
even though it may not be a conscious thing, but that's where it is. It's in your head all the time. And everything you do is about that pain. So dogs are exactly the same. And I'm sure a, a lot of aggressive issues and um, or defensive issues, shall we call them, mm. come from that. In other words, don't run at me because yes. if you hit me or touch me, it's going to hurt. So stay away. Um, so we see those sort of changes where suddenly that pain does not define them mm. as much. They, their lives open up. So if we've got a much older dog or a dog that does, is suffering from other issues, it opens up sufficiently that their health span, they've got a health span rather than just a lifespan. Yeah. And the moment we hear that they, for instance, uh, self-initiated play, they grab the toy and they haven't picked up a toy yeah. for two years. Yeah. They don't groan when they lie down. They can get up easily. They enjoy going for a short walk. They they can eat more easily. All these small things, what seem to be small within a life can be huge. So it's all about trying to measure those changes and the, the behavioral changes, especially the ones that I just sort of spoken about. Yeah. Um, unless you really think about it, they, they might not seem particularly significant, but actually they really are. So, Yes, of course, we're looking for going from a, um, a lame dog to a sound dog. But those increments along the way and where, however far along that road we can get to are really significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really resonated with me because, I mean, we, we sort of went from um, a very, very happy dog to mm. um, when Buddy sort of started with this pain. He was lying on his bed and I needed to take him to the vets. And I went and got his collar and he just didn't even lift his head. And I thought, oh, oh that's my awful, goodness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And normally, because obviously we, we introduced the collar with treats initially. Yeah. And he still associates it. And the good things happen with the collar. And he just. Absolutely. He but we were very, very lucky, actually. Within I, two or three days, three or four, he actually picked a toy up. And like you say, we all went, wow, he wants to absolutely. play. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the mundane. Recognizing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Suddenly it was miraculous, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it is. It it's trying to trying to get in the head of a pained yeah. animal or human. And I always say that I'm really lucky because I have a really bad neck and I have various back issues. And and I feel that as a therapist, that's quite lucky <laughs> because I find it easy to empathise with that type of issue and and how. A small change can make so much difference. Um, and yes, we're looking for the big changes. We're looking for the miracles. And quite honestly, we see lots. And, 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 and to the owner of that dog, it is fantastic because yes. they've suddenly got a life back. Yeah. But also by, by easing these different issues, it can also help with a, a, a diagnosis from the vet that maybe it's been so confused through all these weird body adaptations that it's difficult to work out where it all started that can help too so then they can get treatment for what is actually was the primary cause of it too so it really is um it, it really does make huge huge differences mm -hmm. as well as then being incorporating other therapies that can help too because as much as 
um, we all would love to say, well, you know, myotherapy, that's the only way forward. Um, it most, most certainly has its place, a huge place in the dog's health scheme. But also there are other therapies, too, that do amazing things um, that can work alongside. So it can be an integrated um, treatment, which is always fantastic. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. I think your approach is, is wonderful. I really like it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Is there anything else that you, you would like to say about Garland that we haven't already said? Well, you've asked me some great questions, so I really appreciate that. I think really the big one for us is um, the difference is how we approach the dogs that we treat. And that's something that you allowed me to discuss at length. So that would be always the one that was important for me because that is a great passion of ours is the choice element. Um, But we've explored that. So thank you for that. Excellent. That's it. I want people to understand sort of what what Garland will offer them and their dog and, and how much it can help them. So excellent. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah, it's just I suppose the other thing really is the fact that every lameness has a muscular part to it so you know it's just it's just being aware that that is a major part of all lamenesses because the muscular system tends to be the poor relation Um, everyone goes immediately to skeletal which of course it can be but it's the muscles that hold the skeleton together and if the muscles are wrong they'll pull that skeleton out of alignment yeah Absolutely. Where can people find out more about Garland online? Okay, well, we've got several media outlets. The, the first one, of course, would be our website, which is the, the W's in Garland Therapy Centre, and it's G-A-L-E-N. It doesn't have an R in it, even though we pronounce it as the Greek way, Garland. So it's G-A-L-E-N, Therapy Centre. Also, we've got our Facebook page and always welcome people to join in the chats we have and everything else. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter, Garland Therapy Centre. So we would love anyone to look us out and have a chat and join our, join our community. Well, we'll put those links on and we'll <laughs> shout people over to you. <laughs> Thank you. That's really kind. Garland Therapy sounds marvellous on so many levels. And right now, we're lucky enough to get to listen in on a session. We have Milo and Lucy in the room ready to go. Right. And Milo is already exhibiting one of his classic muscle issue um, behaviours already, which is um, trying to bite his tail. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning. Hi, and hi, Milo. Now, Julia, tell me a little bit about Milo then. What, what is his issue? Well, Milo has got a few behavioural traits that could very easily be misconstrued as something like uh, an allergy or something along those lines. He's the most delightful boy. He is a pug cross shih tzu. Oh, beautiful. And, oh, he is stunning. He yeah. really is. And he, he's, I mean, confirmation hasn't been his, oh, thanks, Milo. Milo's just come up to join us on the futon where, oh. where I dog. So we've got um, Lucy, Milo, and then myself. And so confirmation has never been his strong point. And I believe, I mean, um, Lucy can give you more, obviously, when he was, much younger, he suffered badly with his elbows. Yes, he was um, he was lame, oh, and um, he had um, major surgery on both of his legs. Oh, um, consequently, he um, 
he's got metal plates in both front legs as they were rotated nearly 90 degrees, oh, his wow. front legs. Yeah. Um, and he was, um, I was told he was always going to suffer from uh, arthritis, oh. um, but without the surgery to his front legs, he would have developed the arthritis much worse, much earlier. Yeah. But he, he, he's obviously, um, and he's, he's, 11 this year and very active yeah yeah um, very active um, but has ongoing problems obviously with the arthritis um, which is kind of exhibited with his poor licking Mm. um, tail chasing what's Um, so interesting is that Milo's haven't had that many treatments and for him they are quite uncomfortable because we are touching on areas that are obviously of, of discomfort, but he, at the moment, he's lying here quite quietly for him. He's started to wriggle now. But like most dogs, as I was explaining yesterday, they do tend to get it. Yes. Um, they really do. He's, he's doing a bit of face rubbing at the moment, which, again, that could be he, he has just had a bit of a gnaw on a marrow bone outside. <laughs> um, now, my first immediate thing when he leapt up on the sofa, apart on um, the futon, I should say, Okay, so we we immediately saw his tail chasing. But the one thing that's hit me very strongly is the heat on his head. Um, It's absolutely boiling over the top of his head. Um, And that always rings alarm bells for me because they've got a huge amount of muscle. They've got a a huge density of muscle over the top of their skull. And if this becomes very hot and inflamed, my assumption could be that there is a headache going on in there. Um, now, he's been doing a lot of chewing, so it could be to do with that too, but a head... Oh, he's now sniffing the phone. He, <laughs> his head should not get that hot. So I'm just looking at his neck now, which because he's got um, elbow issues or they are a result of his operation, always the loading goes into the neck. So the neck is, in my opinion, where a lot of these behavioral traits originate because the neck is such a complexity of neurological and circulatory, where it's a highway, it's a massive motorway, plus lots of side roads too. So you've got a lot of potential for massive dysfunction from the main nerves that serve all the body, but also from the cranial nerves, which serve um, a lot of the the head and the the sight and the hearing and, and all of those areas too. So... You know, when you have any form of dysfunction there, there's potential for a lot of behavioural and physical change too, which is where he has got some problems. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, when we talk about behavioural changes with dogs, it's always as well to have it checked out medically, isn't it? Because um, it's the only way they can communicate really with us, with their body language, with their, their actions, what they're doing. And if we just go, oh, he's he's become naughty in some cases we say oh they've just become naughty or they they don't like other dogs now or they don't like you know why what are they trying to tell us exactly that exactly that it's it's trying to look a little bit more oh he's off now i've just done quite a bit round his neck and he's going okay i'm just going to have a bit of time out now you're absolutely right it's it's trying to look a little bit more laterally at these things and and trying to not perhaps put it in such a straight line like exactly like you were saying that if they become a bit more defensive 
and which could be perceived as aggressive, not just look at it, oh, they've, they've changed their behavior, why have they done that? And, and take it beyond what might be going on in their head, but what might be going in their body too, because they are identical to us. Milo, you're gonna come back again, you're gonna come back. He's just taken a bit of time out and mm. the tail biting, he's now looking at me going, hmm, I don't know, might come back or not. They need the thinking time. Oh, he's back again. He's come back. He's now sniffing the phone. I don't know if you can hear that. Yes. So I'm going to continue, because actually his head's cooled down now. I'm going to continue working around his neck. Um, I do want to end up working back around his pelvic region, because even though his neck and shoulders are presenting with um, muscle function, he's quite dysfunction. He's actually quite weak within his back end, too. And, and I feel that that is definitely an issue. Um, and that's where I think he's getting quite a lot of discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, so he's never particularly keen on me doing that. But we've, we've had a couple, three treatments before where I've treated the back end and immediately this tail chasing and biting um, ceases. Mm -hmm. um, we, need to, we need to keep it going. He's now chewing his knee. Milo, you're going to come back, Milo. Milo, come on, sweetie, come back. Come back, come on. a little bit more. Thinking time. <laughs> so Again, when, when you, you work on an area, yeah. what, can you describe that process? What are you actually doing? Okay, it's, it's really, it's, we're, we're sort of double doing because we're applying different techniques to try and ease the tissue below. So there's, there are lots of different techniques we can use, which is sort of ranging from the longitudinal type stroking to the frictional type um, uh, treatments, which is depending on whether you need to stretch the fibers or aggravate them to create a, um, a sort of a designed inflammatory effect um, so that um, you can create a bit of a reaction in that area and get a bit more blood flow there to try and elicit that change that um, we were discussing yesterday. So we're not only doing that, but at the same time, we're feeling what's going on underneath and how the tissue feels. The muscle gives away um, so much information. So when you've got good palpation skills, you can actually work out where the main issue is coming from and how old any compensation might be by how the tissue, the muscle tissue has actually changed because it takes on a different structure um, to either accept an extra loading. So it has to become stronger, but less flexible. Um, and that becomes larger and larger. So the muscle develops and develops to take on that extra load that might be shifted towards that region to avoid another region. So we're not just treating with the techniques that are appropriate for that area um, we're also feeling and trying to work out where heat is coming from and going to and the effects of that treatment on that area yeah. um, and when I say the effects that is primarily through how the dog is responding to us we watch the dog all the time a flicker of an eyebrow the twitch of an ear because we try very hard to take it to the point where they can easily accept it but not take it any, beyond, any further than that. So we're working with them 
So the moment they look like it's too painful, we change or we move to another area. Yeah. Oh, Milo. Aww. And, and how's, how's Milo reacting this morning? Milo's good. He's, he's, he is quite sore at the moment. So he's, he's, he's being really good and very trusting. He's just having a little bit of time out. I've done quite a bit of work now over his neck and over his shoulders. Um, but now he's got his ears just sort of slightly gone back a little. So he's looking even more pensive than before. He's getting a lot of reassurance now from Lucy, yeah, um, yeah. which is lovely. Um, sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes that can't. It depends on yes. on the person. Um, some Sometimes uh, people tend to sort of slightly over-swamp them rather than um, give them the permission almost sometimes to stay where they are. Yeah, yeah. But Lucy's doing a grand job here. Uh, Milo, do you want to come back again? He came back and then I was talking to his left again. <laughs> looking at me going, really? Come on, Lucy, come on then. I nearly said, come on, Lucy. <laughs> come on, Milo. Come back up. Good boy. Come a little man. Come on, there's a good chap. Good boy. And this is a normal um, point of the, the treatment where this is when they really do need thinking time because they've had the, the, working over compensatory um, tissue, if you like, is is nice. That feels good. It feels releasing. It feels good. The the moment you start to go further down to the point that the perhaps the pain is originating, um, that's when things get a bit bit more um, worrying for them. Mm. So, and this is where we are now. I'm just working down his, into his lumbar region, and he's, he's not very happy. He's finding this quite difficult. Um, so this is where the techniques have to change. And I have to slow down and watch him. And sometimes just laying a hand on gives some confidence that um, I'm working with him, not, you know, against him. And um, he, has to, he has to have that thinking time. And Milo's, Milo's a good example of this. He's, he's sort of borderline um, a dog that takes more time out than most. So it's actually quite nice to have that sort of an example rather than one that just says, okay, it's fine, you carry on. Mm. Um, he, he's, he's a thinker and he, he, um, he thinks about his own body and he, it's on his terms and that's exactly how it should be. Yes, yeah. Oh, good Milo. for him. Good for him, exactly. Good yeah. for him. And good lad. He said, oh, I'm not sure. This, this is lovely, Milo, if it was on film. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to come back? Do you want to come back? Come on, then. Are you coming back? This, this may take a few minutes, and mm -hmm. I'm not going to rush him. Neither of, them, neither of us are going to. So... It may it may be that this is sufficient for <laughs> what you would like at this particular yes, time yeah. to you. I mean, that's, I think that's been really interesting. Um, and as you say, maybe one day we'll be able to set a camera up, a camera link up. That would be good as well. But I mean, it's it's great to hear that it's it's a it's a partnership between you know well all three of you there sort of working yeah. to help Milo. And it would be lovely to hear at some point you know to catch up on how Milo's doing. Yeah, that would be great. And of course, our big measurable changes that we're wanting to see are 
I mean, primarily these behavioral ones because he does a lot of paw licking, front paw licking, which for me, that comes a referral down from his neck and this tail chasing. And both of which can not look particularly, uh, they don't look uncomfortable. No. They, don't, they don't scream at people, oh, that, that's got to stop. Um, but it, it can lead into much worse um, behaviorals. I've seen dogs chew and chew to the point that they make their legs bleed um, for the same thing. So this is, this isn't, this is quite early on. Um, and the tail chasing can look like it's a, a fun behavior, but it really, really, in his case, isn't. Maybe in some dogs it is, but it's about looking at the whole thing. Oh, he's yes. now laying down slightly with his back facing us, so I think he needs some time out. So we're looking primarily at those two behaviorals to, uh, behavioral indicators to ease off. So, yes, we'll definitely love to catch up and see how he's getting on. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Lucy, and the best of luck. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. And and thank you, Milo. Yeah, he's he's actually not he's not looking at us at the <laughs> <No>. moment. I'm <laughs> sure he says you're welcome to. <laughs> Lucky Milo, having such a great sensitive therapist and such a concerned loving owner. We have the links on the Dogcast Radio site to the Garland Therapy site, as well as their Facebook, Instagram and Twitter feeds. And we wish Milo all the best for the future. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. One of the things I love about Dogcast Radio is the lovely feedback we get from people and dogs with whom the show has connected. Here's an email I received recently. My name is John. My wife Kathy and I are Australian, but we live in the Netherlands. Six months ago, we decided to look after a little white dog called Rocky, who was six months old but without a home. As we had never owned a dog before, we had lots to learn. We found your website and podcast and have learned a great deal from them. Rocky loves to listen to the podcasts with us. When he hears the intro music, he settles down for a relaxing time. We love the music too. What is the tune? Now, after another six months, Rocky celebrated his first birthday. We love him so much and we threw him a party where some of his little doggy friends came along. Living in a foreign country, it can be hard to make friends. But Rocky is a great icebreaker, so most of our friends are doggy parents. So, just a quick thanks again for the great show and website, John and Kathy. Well, John, Kathy and Rocky, we're so glad you're enjoying life together. Happy birthday to Rocky and many happy returns. Oh, and by the way, I wrote the Dogcast Radio theme tune, so I'm pleased you like that too. That's it for this time. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. 
All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Mum, quick, Buddy's chasing a man on a bike. Jenny, don't be silly. Buddy can't ride a bike. <laughs>